Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And we're just going to focus the next few minutes on these verses. Romans 3.19, but we know that whatever the law says, it says to those under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Pray with me for a moment as we begin. Lord Jesus, we have proclaimed your death at your supper. We've proclaimed your death in supplication. We've proclaimed your death in song. We've proclaimed your death in symbol. And now we would come to proclaim your death in Scripture. Speak, O Lord. Would you make the old new? Would you make the old fresh? Would you bring again to our hearts the great Savior that you are and that we would come again to worship you in spirit and in truth. In your name, amen. There's a title for you, The Beautiful But Now. The Beautiful But Now. It's not usually a beautiful thing when you hear the word but, B-U-T, in a sentence. It's not usually a good thing, is it? For example, I'm sorry I hurt you, but I'm sorry I'm late, but you made such good progress at school this year, but I know you can do better. Fantastic goal that you scored, but I'm sure you could have scored more. I like her as a friend. But, I know I was stupid, but it wasn't my fault. The world's not liking the word but either these days. So when you look at relational leadership and business models, they no longer encourage us to use the word but in a sentence. They encourage us to use the word and. And. So for example... I had a great time and I would just prefer to be friends with you. 
I see that you are upset and I need to honor my feelings too. I feel hurt by what you did and it would be helpful next time if you could say that differently. Do you prefer the word and? Hmm. If you have a look at our text, Romans 3.21, you will see a beautiful but. But now. This is actually a but that you do want in a sentence. This is a but now that you do want to hear. This is the most beautiful but you will ever hear. Because this but, it's, it's not defensive. It's not argumentative. It's not a but that plays down the seriousness of an offense. But now, but now, is so wonderfully good. But before we get to the but now, there's a few things we need to see in order that we might appreciate just how wonderful the but now is. Let me give you the first of three headings. Ooh, that's a bit light. Therefore, unrighteous. Therefore, unrighteous. If you've got your Bible, look at chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 is a summary of everything that Paul has said in Romans 1, 2, and 3. And the conclusion that Paul lays out for us, for every human being, regardless of their color, their creed, or their country, is that every human being finds himself in a position of being unrighteous before God. Paul concludes that because of our lousy law-keeping, we are unrighteous. Based on our performance in keeping the laws of God, Paul says, therefore unrighteous. No human being can be declared right in relationship with God based on keeping the laws of God that are written down for us in the Bible. You will know that Moses summarized the laws of God in ten. Jesus was a little bit more succinct. He got them down to two. And you might remember them in Matthew 22 as a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says to Jesus, 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 what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no human being alive, no human dead, no human being ever to come that has or will ever be able to keep these two laws perfectly. We are unrighteous because we do not love the way we were created to love. They are love laws. Love God. Love neighbor. We do not love God as we ought. We do not love our neighbors as we ought. We love the created more than the creator. We love ourselves more than we love people. And people then come up with all sorts of buts, don't they, to play down the seriousness of their lovelessness. But what about people that have never heard about the laws of God? 
Well, Paul counters that in Romans chapter 2 when he says the love of God and the love for people is actually written into the very fabric of the human soul because we are all made in the image of God. Everybody knows what it is to love. Another will say like the rich guy in Mark 10, but, 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 I've tried so hard to keep the law since a wee boy. But Jesus counters him by saying, but what about all the laws you have blatantly broken, like loving your money more than you love God? Others will say, but I haven't murdered anybody. Jesus counters in Matthew 5.22 saying, but, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. But I haven't committed adultery with anybody. But Jesus counters by saying, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. But then you've got those like the Pharisees say, but, 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 Jesus, but look how good we are. Look how much good we do. We, 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 we give. We fast. We pray. We read the Scriptures. We, we study the Bible. We go to synagogue. We wash our hands before we eat. We eat the right food. We even tithe. And Jesus says, but have you looked into your heart? Have you looked into your heart? Stop looking into your hands, but look into your heart. Because it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. As well as sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. It's all these evils come from inside and defile a person. God's laws which reflect His perfect character, which would lead to perfect life on earth, are broken by every human being, regardless of their race, in every age, in every place. Which means we have to get to the same conclusion as Paul does when he says, Romans 3.20, Therefore, therefore, unrighteous. But look at Romans 3.20 just a little bit more carefully. Paul says, no one will be declared right in God's sight by keeping the law, but rather through the law we become conscious of sin. When you look at the laws of God, of loving God and loving others, it doesn't show us how righteous we are, it shows us how unrighteous we are. When you look at the laws of God, it doesn't show you how far you have risen to keep them, rather it shows you how far you have fallen to break them. Here's a great quote from Eugene Peterson. He says, quote, We look at the laws of God and they prove that we are wholly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills us to live. Have you uh, noticed the various excuses that people make why they won't accept Christianity? You've probably come across a few of them. I'll give you a top five excuses why people say they won't become Christians. Here's five in no particular order. They deny Christianity because Christians are hypocrites. Because the church hides pedophiles. Because the church loves money. 
If there was a sovereign God, He would not allow the suffering we see and face in this world. And Christianity is exclusive, not inclusive. So we reject it. These and many other reasons are not the reasons why people reject Christianity. The reason why Christianity is rejected by people is because Christianity asks people to look at their hearts and they don't want to do it. Because the laws of God show us how utterly sinful we are. At the root of the word sin, it means to miss the mark. Sin is missing what God has called us to be and to do. People are not basically good with some faults. People are basically bad. And the only good that they have is part of the remnant of being made in the image of God. Listen to this illustration from a guy called Emil Brunner. He says, two men board a train. One of them perhaps does something sensible and the other one does something stupid on entering the train. But as they look out, both notice that they have taken the wrong train and they're going in the wrong direction. The one man was reasonable and the other stupid is a difference between the two men. It is a difference. However, it is no significance in relation to the fact that both, whatever their individual differences, they're both going in the wrong direction. This is what the Bible means by the word sin. It is a total perverse direction of life, a tendency away from God. Sin is a depravity that's got a hold on all of us. Sin is a radical perversion away from God. It's a disloyalty to the Creator when the Creator remains so faithful. Sin is an insulting alienation from Him in which all of us without exception have shared in. I want you to take a look at this picture. It's not a very pleasant one. Do you know what that is? It's a picture of a smoker's lung. It's not very pleasant, is it? It's diseased. You know those awful pictures on, on cigarette boxes? You know what they're trying to do, don't you? They, they're trying to, 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 to get us to see the damage that people are doing to themselves by smoking. So I want you to do something right now for me. I want you to take a look at a picture. I want you to look at your heart. But as I ask you to do this, it isn't very pleasant. I want to ask you not to turn away. Don't, don't switch off. Okay? That's what your heart looks like. That's what your heart is full of. Don't look away. Don't switch off. Look at it. It's your heart. Your heart is full of lying, stealing, coveting, and lusting. Loving the created more than God, loving yourself more than others. Your heart is full of abuse, filthy language, sexual immorality, malice, violence, hatred, envy, jealousy, broken promises, narcissism, slander, unbridled anger, gossip, misrepresentation, exaggeration, half-truth, slander, arrogance, pride, self-centeredness, loving money, hypocrisy, rudeness, rejoicing in evil, unfaithfulness, deceitfulness, 
disobedient to parents, disobedient to authorities. Some of you here this morning might be familiar with something called body dysmorphia. Body dysmorphia is a mental health condition in which you can't stop thinking about one or more perceived flaws that you have in your appearance. And people that have got body dysmorphia very often just simply cannot look at themselves in the mirror because they're always seeing these perceived defects in themselves. If you look at your heart, these are not perceived defects. They are not imaginary. Please don't develop body dysmorphia this morning. This is what you are to see. These are the seeds of sin inside every human heart that sits here this morning. Perhaps when you look at your heart in this way, we start to understand the words of Jeremiah 17.9 when he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and is beyond cure. Perhaps then we start to understand Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, when he said, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one righteous, not even one. Because that is the heart. Keep looking, don't turn away. This is why every human being is under the wrath, condemnation, and judgment of God. This is why we deserve to go to hell. Because we are perverse by nature. This is why we have to shut our mouths before God in terms of making any excuses or buts. Oh, but God. But I'm not. See the verse? We know what the law says. It says to those under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world accountable to God. What that means is that when you look at your Hard again. When you look at your heart in the light of God's character in His law, there are no buts. There are no mitigating circumstances. There are no excuses. We shut our mouths before our holy God because there is nothing we can say but God, I'm not that bad. If you want to have a but at the end of the sentence before God, let me show you where it goes. Here's where it goes. John said in Revelation 19, he said, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. They were standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that was in them and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. If on the day of judgment we would dare open our mouths to God and say, but God, that is not what I deserve. We will be cast into eternal hell. Therefore, unrighteous. 
right now. Right now. Therefore unrighteous, but now righteous. Sorry about the light writing. Verse 21 of Romans 3. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Let me read it again. But now, but now, apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. What is Paul saying? He's saying this. He says, but now, there is a way to be righteous, but not by law-keeping. Despite being under the condemnation and the curse of the law, there is a way. In fact, that way was always in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was always pointing forward to this righteousness for sinners under condemnation. Paul says, despite the law of God showing how utterly sinfully wretched we are, there is, but now there is a way to be righteous. There is. Mark Deva put it like this. He said, after the darkness of Romans 3.20, a lightning strike of grace has lifted forever the night of condemnation. Wow. After the lightning, after the darkness of 3.20, a lightning strike of grace has lifted forever the night of condemnation. And notice again, verse 21, that Paul says it was always in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was... The, the prophets and the law, they were always pointing forward to something, to something in the future, a righteousness that was not by law, if, if we could see it. Some people think that, well, you read the Old Testament, you get saved, or you become righteous by trying to keep the law, but in the New Testament, you have to do it another way. No, no, no. No, no, no. Think about it. Was there any Israelite in the Old Testament that ever kept the love laws of God perfectly? Can you think of one Israelite? Not one, right? In fact, reading the Old Testament is a dismal depression, isn't it? Because all that you get is that the Israelites are always sinning over and over and over. They're not loving God as they ought. They're not loving their neighbors and themselves. The problem is it's so, it's so depressing because they mirror us. And yet, if we've got eyes to see and ears to hear, the pointers to another righteousness, it's always been... Have you seen it there? Have you seen it in the Old Testament? It's there. It's there. Let me give you a couple of examples. The pointer, when God makes animal skins for Adam and Eve after they cover their shame of sin with fig leaves. Pointer. The pointer when God provided a substitute ram in the place of Isaac, when Abraham was taking up Isaac to the Mount Moriah and to sacrifice him. Pointer. The whole sacrificial system was appointed to the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world because no blood of any bull or goat or sheep could ever take away or atone for human sin. Pointer. Oh, the prophet David, he put it like this. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. And we know he was a sinner whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. Pointer forward. And then, of course, the prophet Isaiah, he put it like this. He said, surely 
He took up our pain and bore our suffering. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. For He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You see it? If you've got eyes to see and ears to hear, the point is all over. So what is it? What is it? What is this righteousness of God that I can have though I'm under the condemnation of the law? What, what, was, what was it pointing to? Are you ready for it? It's in Romans 3.22. Here's how the NIV translates it. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's not a great translation. The best translation, and it, and it, because it doesn't tell you what it is. The best translation of this verse from the best scholars is this. This righteousness is given through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all who believe. Do you see it? The way for you and me unrighteous to become righteous is by the faithfulness of someone else. The faithfulness of Jesus Christ. What the Old Testament was pointing forward to was the righteousness of the Messiah who would become righteousness for us because we're under the curse of the law. What that means is that the faithfulness of Jesus Christ means that Jesus obeyed every love law of God every moment of His existence for you. And then He was punished for every love law of God you've ever broken and will break. His faithfulness means He faithfully kept the laws of God for you. And then He was faithfully punished for you because you broke them. Let me put it another way. Jesus was faithful to the obedience of the law and then faithful to the punishment of the law because the law demands punishment for disobedience. Let me try to put it one other way and you'll see it. Pointing forward in Romans, Romans chapter 10 verse 4, it's such a beautiful verse. Christ, Jesus, is the culmination of the end of the law so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. In other words, Jesus is the end of the law or the culmination of the law in the sense that He puts an end to the power of the law to condemn our disobedience because of His obedience to the law and His obedience to death on a cross for sinners. You see it? Therefore unrighteous because of our unfaithfulness. But now, righteous because of the faithfulness of Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful but? Which takes us to our third point. Therefore, unrighteous, but now righteous, 
received by faith. How does the righteousness, no, how does the righteousness of Jesus, how does the faithfulness of Jesus become yours? How does his obedience become yours? How does his punishment on the cross become yours? How does the faithfulness of Jesus get credited to your life? How does it become your position? Because if I am unfaithful, if I do not have the faithfulness of Jesus given to my life, I am absolutely without hope. Do you see it as I put Romans 10.4 and Romans 3.22 together? Do you see it? How is it received? This righteousness, which is the faithfulness of Jesus, comes to what? All who believe. Romans 10.4, the culmination, Jesus is the culmination of the law so that there might be this righteousness for everyone who believes. Faith is very simply trusting the faithfulness of Jesus for you. Faith says, I am unfaithful. Jesus was faithful. Faith says, I am unrighteous, deserving condemnation, but He is righteous who took my condemnation. And faith says, I am righteous only because He was faithful for me. Faith is... I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted because you were condemned. I am righteous because you were faithful. And so I have a very simple question for you. Simply, profound, the most important question I could ever ask you. Do you have His faithfulness? Have you received his faithfulness for your unfaithfulness? Have you received His law-keeping for your law-breaking? Have you received His punishment for you? Has His faithfulness become yours by trusting that He did it for you? For you. Therefore unrighteous because of law-breaking. But now righteous because of the faithfulness of Jesus. Received by trusting that Jesus was faithful for me. You might be very, very familiar with some words by John Newton. He's the guy that wrote the great hymn Amazing Grace. And he had these words. He said, I am a great sinner. But Christ is a great Savior. But what people perhaps don't know so well is they don't know when he actually wrote those words. He didn't write those words after he was newly converted. He didn't write those words when he was a baby Christian. In fact, he said those words when he was near the end of his life, when he could barely see and he could barely talk. A friend of his by the name of William J. visited John Newton one time. And John Newton was barely able to speak and see. And this is what he said to William J. He said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner. 
but that Christ is a great Savior. The Apostle Paul, near the end of his life, put it this way. He's writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into, came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Brothers and sisters, this morning, this is what we will always be. Great sinners. But saved by a great Savior who was faithful in every way for you. That never changes from the day you become a Christian to the day that you'll meet him face to face. I am a great sinner, but he is a great Savior. Some of you might be familiar with the famous hymn, Rock of Ages. And uh, it was written by a guy who um, had an interesting name, Augustus Toplady. I'm not sure if I can say that properly. The story goes, and it, it, it's, it, it's, it's not a verified story. It, it, it may have taken place when no one's absolutely 100% sure, but... Augustus apparently wrote this song, Rock of Ages, when he was hiding in the cleft of a rock from a storm. And that picture on, on, on the screen is, is, is the particular rock where he supposedly went. It's in a place called Burrington Coombe Gorge in North Somerset in England. And if you go there, there is actually a plaque at the bottom of the, uh, the rock. But let me just read two of the stanzas for you that bring this home. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. There's nothing in my hand I bring. It's simply to the cross that I cling. Naked I come to Thee for dress. Helpless I look to Thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior. Wash me, Savior. Or I die. It's a beautiful but now, isn't it? It's a beautiful, beautiful but now. Is that but now yours? Is that yours today? I'm going to ask the music team to lead us in our final song.